Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we have been able to gather as your uh, children uh, to come and to bring our offerings of praise and worship to you. We thank you for our time gathered around the Lord's table as we've been reminded of the death and burial and resurrection of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has won for us the forgiveness of sins and redemption and a home in heaven that we can look forward to. We pray now as we open your word that you would bring it to life, that your spirit would take it and uh, would uh, use it to uh, encourage us, uh, to challenge us and to provide us something to meditate upon. And so we ask for your help and your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I was, uh, I was with you a few months ago, I think it was March, uh, and we looked at uh, Acts chapter 2. And I'd like to take you back there, um, if you don't mind. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts uh, chapter 2, and we'll take a short reading uh, from there. I'm going to start in verse uh, 40 of Acts chapter 2. Okay, verse 40 says this, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them. So this is uh, the Apostle Peter. He's just stood up uh, in front of thousands of people to share uh, the word of God, the gospel um, of our Lord Jesus Christ with those that were gathered around. And so with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptised, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So if, uh, if you happen to remember in March, I read, uh, we, we spoke from this passage and we actually looked at one of those four key uh, elements of the early church which exist today in our churches. I focused on uh, the topic of fellowship. And if you miss that, there is uh, you can jump on the church's website and you'll find that message there. Today I'd like to take another one of these topics and to, uh, and to uh, look further into it. And that is the breaking of bread, a, uh, an action that we have just enjoyed as, uh, as brothers and sisters uh, together. And uh, our, our brother, uh, Graham, thank you very much for reading one of the passages that we were going to look at this morning in Luke's Gospel. And so whilst this is a, a weekly activity of the church here, it's good to be reminded as to why it is that we come and gather around the Lord's table. Now, I do uh, notice that uh, Dr. Isles brought a message about this in December, I think it was, last year, and uh, the Lord has placed this on my heart, so it must be time for us to be reminded again of what the Lord has done for us and what this table uh, symbolises. So we're going to look at three things this morning. What is the breaking of bread? 
what is its purpose or why did Jesus introduce it to the early church and which has been continued onto today? And then what should be our response? So other than this passage we've just looked at, the breaking of bread is mentioned in only six other passages in the scriptures. Three of them are in the Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew 26, Mark 14 and Luke 22. And all three of them give a pretty similar account of the same uh, story, the same time that Jesus introduced this meal. We uh, see in Acts chapter 20 verse 7 a very fleeting mention of it. And then Paul provides some teaching and instruction to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. One interesting uh, verse to note in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 is that Paul starts with this very word where Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. So Paul's account is not just a retelling of the gospel message that he has heard from other people. But in fact, it's a direct revelation that the Lord has given to him. So we're going to read that account from uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians. So if you could turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're just going to read a couple of verses and then we'll come back and have a look at the remaining part of the passage. So 1 Corinthians 11, we'll start there at verse 23. And Paul says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let's just uh, look at our our first item, our first question. What is uh, the Lord's table? What is the breaking of bread? What is it that we do when we meet together? So as you can see for yourself, it's a very simple meal using two very simple ingredients or elements, a piece of bread and a cup of wine or a cup of juice. Staples that were very common at every meal in Jesus' day. In fact, he was meeting with his disciples to celebrate the Passover feast. And these were elements that were already on the table. So there's nothing special about them individually by themselves. But as we see in Luke 22, as Graham read for us, Jesus refers to them as symbols, which we also see in 1 Corinthians 11. The bread symbolizes his body and the cup symbolizes his blood. We notice that when Jesus took these elements. He gave thanks before sharing each one of them. And that's quite interesting just to ponder for a minute. Here we were just, or here was Jesus just before he was to be betrayed and before he gave his life on the cross at Calvary. But here he was thanking God 
for his own body that was soon to be broken for the sins of mankind, which is how Matthew puts it in his gospel. And, thanks for, and then he gave thanks for his own blood that was going to be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What a poignant moment at that point where he was Christ contemplating the sacrifice he was about to give for the sins of the whole world, for the disciples gathered around him, for us and for everybody else who comes to know the Saviour as their Lord. Yet this moment was completely missed by those who were around him, the disciples that were at the table. So Jesus was not only just contemplating his upcoming death at this point in time, he was leaving symbols, items of remembrance for, by which the disciples and us would, over the centuries, utilise to remember the awful cost of our salvation. Here he was praying for, uh, for these, uh, these emblems that they would be a reminder to his disciples of the forgiveness of their sins and the cost that it would take, and yet they had no idea didn't have a clue at all when Jesus introduced this meal. Once he prayed, he gave those symbols, the bread and the cup, to his disciples to eat and to drink from. That's an active participation, just like we have done this morning, in the sacrifice of our Saviour and a very physical act of remembrance. Now, I did a little bit of uh, Google study in regards to remembering, and I found what I thought I would find on an interesting website, the American Express website, but anyway. And they had an article there entitled The Seven Tricks to Remember Almost Anything. And, of course, the very first one is what I expected it would be. Use visual association. And they said here, this memory trick works for two reasons. We naturally remember visual cues better than words. Also, the more senses you involve in learning or storing something, the better you'll be at recalling them. Well, of course, our Lord knew that, didn't he? And as he introduced these symbols, he gave us a visual, a tactile, and a way of tasting so that we might remember him. He was setting this up for centuries to come until he drinks it anew in his kingdom. So it's important to note that we too, just like Graham Island did this morning, we should give thanks for these very simple symbols because they are a physical reminder to us of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now before we move on, it's uh, interesting to note that this um, act that we've, t- that we've taken, been a part of this morning, is referred to by several different names. Uh, and you'll be familiar with that. Uh, each, each of these names refer to the same thing, but they highlight something slightly different, a slightly different focus, and I just wanted to bring your attention to them this morning. The breaking of bread, which is the terminology used in Acts chapter 2, speaks to the simplicity of the meal. Simple elements, bread and wine. No need to go to great cost to put this meal together. No need to go to elaborate preparation like they needed to for the Passover feast. But it also speaks to how simple the gospel message 
is. Belief in Christ's death, burial and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins is sufficient to find your place in eternity with God on high in a day to come. It's also referred to as the Lord's Supper. And this speaks to the fact that we personally have been invited by the Lord to come and to share this meal. He remarked to his disciples, as we've read on a couple of occasions already this morning, to do this in remembrance of him, an invitation by the Saviour to remember him. We also refer to this uh, table as communion. And this speaks to the fact that we do this in community, together with one another as we remember Christ's death and what is achieved for the whole church and not just for individuals. It's a picture of unity. As Graham mentioned, when we took that cup together, a picture of unity amongst us all in acknowledging Christ, our Saviour. The next word is the Eucharist, more likely used in Orthodox churches and within the Catholic Church, but it is a Greek word that means thanksgiving. And that indeed is what we do when we come to the table. We thank our Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. And finally, it's also been referred to as the sacrament. And this speaks to the act of consecration and dedication from us towards our Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Sacrament comes from the Latin word sacramentum, which means in uh, old Roman, in the ancient Roman times, that when you were a soldier, you gave your life to Caesar. You pledged an oath of allegiance. And every time, in similar vein, as we come around the Lord's table, we pledge our own oath of allegiance to our Saviour. So that is uh, what breaking of the bread is. Let's talk about what its purpose is and why it is uh, that Jesus introduced this for us. I've identified four separate reasons, uh, and I'm sure there's plenty more, but we're just going to look at four this morning. The first one is so that we can commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can remember what he has done for us. The second one is that it symbolises the new covenant. It says that this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Thirdly, it points to the fellowship of the redeemed people of God. And finally, it anticipates the coming marriage supper of the Lamb when we reach heaven in that sinless state, in that perfect, righteous state. So looking at the commemoration or the remembrance of his death, we see in the three gospel accounts, as well as in both chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 10 and chapter 11, that this meal was introduced so that we would remember him. Luke says in verse 15 of chapter 22, with fervent desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love that phrase, with fervent desire. The Lord Jesus Christ was was so keen to be able to share this meal with his followers. But he wanted to do so before he suffered. In verse 19, he says, referring to the bread, this is my body which is given for you. And we read in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, that Paul says in in, um, repeating the Lord's words, this is my body which is broken 
for you. Similarly, in relation to the cup, Jesus refers to the cup as his blood, which has been shed for us. So we can see in Luke's account, as we focused on it this morning, and in Paul's account, that Jesus is quoted as saying, this do in remembrance of me. We come to remember and to commemorate the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. But more than that, it also symbolises the new covenant. Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 20, that this is, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. And this phrase is also used in all three Gospels, as well as 1 Corinthians 11. So when I hear that there's a new covenant, my mind automatically goes to, well, there must have been an old covenant. And why is it that we need a new one? So uh, we're going to have a really quick skip through the Old Testament to have a look at this old covenant. We're going to start in Genesis 15. God makes a covenant with Abram that he will multiply Abram's family and give him the land of Canaan. God builds on that in Genesis 17 by saying he would establish an everlasting covenant that would see Abram's descendants more numerous than the sand on the seashore and that he would give the land of Canaan to them. And then in chapter 22 of Genesis, God goes on further to say that this nation of his, the nation of Israel, would be a blessing to all nations. And then following up, um, the covenant is is, uh, repeated later in Genesis to both Isaac and Jacob. And then we go to Exodus chapter 12, just prior to the Israelites leaving the land of of Egypt when God instituted the Passover meal. And they had to uh, uh, conduct an animal sacrifice and take the blood to put across the tops of the door and the sides of the door so that the angel of death would pass over them. The blood was a covering, a protection for them. And then this Passover feast, also known as the Feast of Remembrance, was to be kept every year in an ongoing way. We see in Exodus 19 through to 24 that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. He gave him the law that the Israelites needed to follow and to keep. And then he gave, uh, and then he gave them the Ten Commandments uh, on the tablets of stone. Moses wrote down the law and it's been referred to as the Book of the Covenant. And when Moses first read that out... He also sacrificed an animal and he took the blood from that animal and sprinkled it over all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you. We read then in Leviticus chapter 16 that the Day of Atonement is introduced by God, an annual occasion when an animal sacrifice would be made for the covering of the sins of the people an opportunity to turn away the wrath of God for the next year. And then finally, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promises that a king from David's line would rule on the throne forever, thus securing the earlier covenant of land, descendants, and blessing forever and ever. Uh, Could you turn with me in Jeremiah chapter 31? So there was a really quick run through uh, the, uh, the covenant, the old covenant that God had made. 
But uh, Jeremiah is given a word from the Lord in chapter 31, and we're going to pick this up from verse 31. And God says this in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbour and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. So we see here that there was something wrong with the old covenant. Not from God's point of view, but from our point of view, from mankind's point of view. We could not keep the law that God had provided as a part of that covenant. He says there in verse 32, my covenant which they broke. Can you turn with me to a very uh, well-known passage in Hebrews chapter 10? So now we're skipping a fair way. And here it explains so um, easily, so clearly for us what was wrong with the old covenant and why it needed a new covenant. So Hebrews chapter 10, like I said, very well known to us all. But let's be reminded by what it says, coming, uh, starting in verse 1. So Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. Here... Um, we refer the, letter, the writer of the Hebrews was referring to the Day of Atonement, the annual sacrifice of animals to cover the sins of the Israelites. He says in verse 1 there, These can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. For when, then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Let's skip to verse 12. But this man, referring to Jesus, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. And we're about to reference that passage that we read in Jeremiah. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds... Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. 
And verse 18, what a great verse. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. It's clear that uh, the old covenant, the way the Israelites and would have been us if we were there, could not meet the old covenant, means that we could not reach perfection. We could not obtain the righteousness that we needed to be able to communicate with a holy God. We could not be fit to be in his presence. But the new covenant, through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, achieves all of this plus more. Here's a couple of things that the new covenant, the sacrifice of Jesus, provides for us who follow him. Firstly, Jesus' sacrifice was a perfect sacrifice, no longer needed to be repeated once for all. The new covenant does not require the works of mankind. Proven over and over and over again in the Old Testament that we could not manage anything of our own for righteousness. Yet the new covenant doesn't require the works of man. The new covenant, the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, fully satisfies the wrath of the Father forever. It's not a cover for year after year, no it fully satisfies the wrath of the Father forever. Christ's sacrifice, the new covenant, provides us with forgiveness of sins. It cleanses us and it removes our guilt. It provides us who follow and love the Lord Jesus with a holiness. It imparts righteousness upon us so that we may be able to commune with God himself and be appropriate and ready to be in his presence both now as we pray and both bodily when we get into the new heavens. And finally, it gives us full assurance of faith and an everlasting hope which we can depend on as being true. So these are the things that we can think of, that we can be reminded of when we read that the cup is the new covenant in my blood. The shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ provides this new covenant for us. Before I move on to this point, I just want to note, note this one thing. It's interesting that Jesus introduced the breaking of bread on the night he and his disciples would share the Passover feast for the very last time. No longer were the people remembering the escape from the bondage and punishment of Pharaoh, which is what the Passover feast was reminding them. Now they are remembering the escape of the bondage and the punishment of sin as we gather around the Lord's table. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed on our behalf. So the Passover feast is removed and it's been replaced by the breaking of bread. All right, so we've seen that uh, the purpose, uh, the reason for us gathering around the Lord's table is to commemorate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it symbolises the new covenant that we have that Christ brought in through his death. Now let's have a a, a brief look at the way that it points to the fellowship of the redeemed. The fellowship that we share with each other as we come around this table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, so we spent a bit of time in chapter 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, in verses 16 and 17... It says these things, verse 16, The cup of blessing which we bless, 
Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Here it's talking about the communion we all have as we come to share in the breaking of the bread and in the drinking of the cup. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, we know that this passage was written by Paul to the entire churches at Corinth to provide some really specific teaching and instruction in the way in which they gathered around the Lord's table. But it was instruction that was provided to all of them as they met together. And when the Lord introduced this meal, and it's recorded in each of these Gospels as we've already seen, the disciples were all together at the same time. And ever since then, right through to now, and until we get called to glory, this will be a meal that is shared by God's people together. A sign of our unity, a sign as a commitment of a body of, church, of people, of believers, to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, I said there was a very fleeting reference. It just says this, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, and then it goes on to a different matter after that, but again it tells us the disciples came together to break bread together. It's not something that's done individually by oneself uh, in, in, a, in a space of solitude. No, it's done together as a group of God's people. Right, the final purpose for breaking bread together uh, that I'd like to look at is that it anticipates the coming marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven. If you turn to uh, Luke 22, um, sorry, I know we're moving around a bit, but there's so many things to pull out of these different passages. So Luke 22, and we'll just have a quick look at verse 16, and it says this, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So even whilst Jesus was introducing this meal, he was at that point in time looking forward to the coming kingdom of God in heaven. Even if we jump to verse 18, it's it's repeated. Verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus was looking forward to that day in heaven, and so should we. We should be using our time around the Lord's table to be looking forward to what's recorded in Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to just read a few verses there so you understand what we're talking about. Verse 6 of Revelation 19 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. 
So when we gather around the Lord's table, we're provided with an opportunity, just like Jesus was looking forward to the kingdom of God, we also have that opportunity to look to the kingdom of God. Now we'll just finish with our last point, and that is, what should be our response? Going back to our text in, in um, uh, Acts 2, it talks about that they were held steadfastly to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. I really like the, uh, the terminology that the NIV uses, and that is that they were devoted. We understand really what that word means, don't we? It's not just a, it's something that we would do regularly. Devotion is far more than that. And so the, the, the disciples, the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. And we see here that our church leaders here, they too are devoted to the breaking of bread, which is why we share it weekly. But the question for you as individuals, as you come, are you devoted to the breaking of bread? Are you devoted to all it means, all those purposes for the reasons of sharing this? Is that a devotion for you? We're going to uh, quickly jump. I can see the time, but we, this is important. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I told you we we're coming back to a, a passage, and it's an important passage, and so I think uh, it's important that we do that. Uh, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if any of you is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And then the rest I will set in order when I come. So this this passage talks about eating and drinking in an unworthy manner and the judgment that this brings upon the individual as they come. In verse 28, we're being asked to examine ourselves. This request is to ensure that we are right before God as we approach the table and as we participate in its elements. God is giving us this opportunity so that we can confess our sins and so that we can prove for ourselves that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as it says in 1 John 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 21 says this really important uh, piece for us. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Again, this identifies, this highlights that the only way that we can eat in a worthy manner is if we are right with God as we come to approach the table We cannot be two-faced. We cannot look and do what a Christian does on Sunday, yet spend the other six days of the week doing 
what those who have no regard for God are doing. We need to be his sons and his daughters seven days of the week, not just on Sunday as we approach the table. We can't be both, one or the other. We're either devoted to God and his word or we're not. One other point I just want to have a pick up quickly. What does it mean in verse 39 to not discern the Lord's body? That's an interesting phrase that he uses there. Sorry, verse 29. I got myself a bit excited. There's not even 39 verses in the chapter. But anyway, verse 29. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, it's important to note that if we read all of Corinthians chapter 11 from beginning to end, we would see that the Corinthians were making a complete mockery of the breaking of the bread uh, time that they shared together. Some were eating and drinking whenever they felt like they were overeating. They were getting drunk while there was others who were starving within their congregation at the same time. They had no regard or reflect They weren't pondering the actual reasons for this table, that the Lord Jesus Christ had sacrificed himself for their salvation. And so it's a reminder to us that we are to use our time around the Lord's table reverently and in holy fear, recognising the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, discerning the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why we gather. I want to finish with one final exhortation. Uh, which comes from a booklet called The Lord's Supper and Baptism by Neil Fraser and William MacDonald, um, which Tom uh, so generously gave me. And it says this, We do not come to the supper to serve, neither do we come merely to sit at the table with him. It's not enough just to be here in our place. We must, as Mary did, bring him our preparation of pure nard in true worship She had purposed in her heart to sacrifice her most treasured possession to her Lord and to wipe her feet with that which symbolised her glory, her hair. Worship is not a workshop, a working up of something for the occasion. Nor is it a wash-up, a hasty confession of our unworthiness and sins of the weak on arrival. But let me just make one point. God is a God of mercy and a God of grace. If that's you as you walk in the door, you still have that opportunity to examine yourself and to confess your sins before partaking. They go on to say, Rather, our heart should be overflowing with a good theme as we approach the table. We can think of all of those wonderful things concerning the king. This booklet goes on to say one final thing. The measure of our preparation is a measure of our worship. The measure of our preparation as we come to the table is a measure of our worship. Is it a last-minute thing or is it something we've been focusing on that we've been preparing for? What a beautiful place to be around the Lord's table, remembering him, remembering what he's done for us, remembering the new covenant that we have, that we don't have to follow all these rules that were laid down in the Old Testament that we know our sins are forgiven and our home is secured in heaven at that marriage supper of the Lamb. I've entitled this message, Breaking of Bread, God's Strength.
to believer to the believers. The Lord's Supper is a place where God reminds us, he renews us, and he encourages us. But most importantly, he strengthens our faith so that we can go into the new week reminded and fulfilled with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. He enables us to go into the world to take up the Great Commission, and that is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this table, the Lord's Supper. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come together as a group of your people, brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters of the living God, that we can come each week around this table to be reminded of our Lord Jesus Christ, of his sacrifice, of his death, of his burial, of his resurrection. We can be so glad and so thankful that what he has done on our behalf has imparted righteousness to us and has secured for us an eternal hope, a full assurance of faith that we can go out into this world and not live in the world, not to be of the world, but to show the world the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Bless us this week as we go out. And we ask this in the precious name of our Saviour, the one who gave his all for us. In his name alone we pray. Amen.